It's Lucy Litch, and this is Tiny House Conversations. It's the Australian-based podcast where I interview experienced tiny houses, tiny builders, and adventurers in the tiny world, so you can discover how to create, build, and transition into tiny life. Before we get into the show, I want to know something. Are you a tiny houser and would you like to share your tiny house story and experiences on the podcast? Or are you a business that has a product or service that aligns with the tiny house movement and would be beneficial for the tiny house community that you'd also like to share on the podcast? If so, I'd love to hear from you and you can head over to tinyhouseconversations.com and on there you'll see a section that says share your story. If you fill out your details there, I'll get back to you very soon. Welcome back to Tiny House Conversations. Today is another solo cast, and in this episode, I'm sharing with you all about my tiny house cost breakdown. So that includes the total cost of the build, the additional costs that I spent on parts of the tiny home that I supplied myself and customized, as well as how much my solar trailer costs, how much my deck is going to cost, how much I spent for tradies and setting up my tiny home and having it ready for delivery on site, as well as delivery too, and a few other things. But first, I want to start by mentioning that in episode number 27 with Joe Arneson from LJM Carpentry and Construction, he said something really important to know, especially if you're at the start of your tiny house journey, in that the cost of your build with your tiny house builder, if you choose to go that way, is not your final cost. So that means that if you're needing to budget and, you know, put away certain amounts of money for your overall tiny house build and as well as setting up your tiny house lifestyle that you really have to leave room for not just the build itself but all the other things that come later and I will be sharing with you what that looks like for me. So my tiny house is six meters long, 2.4 meters wide and 4.3 meters high And you may or may not already know that it was built by designer eco tiny homes who are based in Ulladulla on the south coast of New South Wales. Now, I have a spreadsheet of tiny house expenses and I feel like throughout the whole process it continued to get longer and longer and longer as I realized and learned, you know, different things that I needed to consider and stuff that I wanted to add to the home and and all of that. So I'm not going to share with you every single thing that's on that spreadsheet, but I am going to share with you some of the main things. I will share some of the costings and then I'll give you an overall cost at the very end. And let's start with the total build cost. So the total build by Designer Eco Tiny Homes came to just under 100000 So it was 99 something. It changed a little bit after we signed the contract because there was a, little modif- a couple of modifications during the build process. Interestingly enough, and I think this is something that the tiny house builders share and are transparent about just because we all know that inflation has been happening and the cost of living has risen quite a lot in the last few years with everything that's been happening. And so interestingly enough, when I first went to visit 
Designer Eco at their workshop towards the end of 2020, September 2020, the same tiny house would have cost me about 20 grand less. Isn't that a massive difference? And, you know, a lot of it is due to the cost of materials rising. And of course, these tiny house building companies have big teams that they need to account for, that they need to pay. And of course, the the rising demand and supply of tiny houses in general. So I think there's a lot of things going on in there. But I, I thought I'd share that with you because that's a big difference. And if you're someone that is sitting on the fence, maybe you know that you want to go tiny and and maybe you do have the funds available already and you're kind of like going, okay, I don't know when is the right time, you know, when should I do this? If you have that financial aspect in mind, because I know that that's a very, one of the most primary factors for most of us, I would say, when it comes to going tiny is this financial aspect that the longer that you wait, the more expensive it's going to get. And of course, I mean, I I went through this myself. Sometimes it's not the right time and and we don't have all the funds necessary in the beginning. And so unfortunately we, we may have to wait and then we see that the price goes up, which is exactly what happened to me. Now with my total build cost, there were a number of items that I was able to customize or supply myself. And so that total cost doesn't include my bed and my mattress. So I moved to from Sydney to the South Coast in the middle of 2022 and I didn't bring a bed or anything like that with me. And I knew that I wanted to, it was time for me to get a new bed anyway. I think I'd had my, my last one for quite a long time and I knew that I wanted to go with a natural bedding company and just have all, all natural materials. And so I, I got a new bed base and a new mattress from the natural bedding company and the total for those was 3,824 at the time. And just for interest sake, if you, and I'll put a link in the show notes to this as well. Uh, I got the low line bed frame, which is a minimalist bed frame. And I also got the Aurora mattress. And so the low line bed frame is made from Tasmanian oak and pine and both untreated. And then the Aurora mattress is made of certified organic latex and it has a cover of organic hemp and cotton. So the next thing I supplied was the composting toilet. And I already mentioned this in episode 44 when I was talking about my custom design, I'll put a link in the show notes at tinyhouseconversations.com that I was deciding between should I get a split system or should I get a self-contained? A split system I think is really good for if you know for sure that you're going to be in a place long term. And because I was going through the design process and my parking space wasn't 100% confirmed at that time, I figured that a self-contained toilet like the Wandering Wally would be just easier to manage in a, a more short-term situation if that was the case or, or in a situation where my parking space was up in the air and I wasn't sure if I was going to be somewhere for a longer period of time or if I was going to maybe have to go to a caravan park initially just as a short-term thing until I found a long-term space. But it turned out that I actually 
as you'll know, if you listen to my tiny house parking space episode, I'll also put a link in the show notes that I did end up finding a long-term parking space that I feel like I'll probably be able to be at for at least two, three years, maybe longer, just depends on what happens. The next thing that I supplied was my down lights and my external wall lights. So the lighting in my home is all from block blue light, which if you haven't uh, heard before, I've, I've mentioned on the podcast several times, it's all about having low electromagnetic fields, low EMFs, as well as removing the blue frequency of light, which we find in our regular light bulbs and all our devices, which can be problematic to health including impacting sleep, but also other health effects as well. And so these down lights and my external wall light globe are amber lights, which, yeah, have the blue light removed, create a sort of softer feel for the eye, especially uh, in the nighttime. But to be honest, I, I actually haven't used lights in a really long time, so I haven't even used my lights that much. I often use my block blue light, different lamps and, and other things too. Uh, so the cost of the down lights in total with 383 and supplying my own wall light was uh, I got a it's about a $30 one from Bunnings and then the globe was around about $30 as well being a specialty globe again it's going to last a long time because I don't use it a whole lot another part of my tiny home that I supplied was the electric stove so usually a two burner gas stove is what is supplied in the the base contract but I wanted to try and limit gas I am using it for hot water for now might look at something alternative later in the future and so it was a question of do I want to remove the gas stove put in an electric stove or do I want to just have a powerpoint right near where the stove would be and then I could just supply my own portable stove whether it was an induction cooktop or an electric cooktop and I didn't go for the induction because of the high electromagnetic fields and, and high exposure. I'm very much trying to limit my exposure in my tiny home. You can check out my conversation with Amy Skilton on episode 32 of the podcast, all about reducing EMFs in your tiny home. And yeah, I spoke more about that in my in the custom design episode as well. And so the electric stove was $65. Now, there were some other features that I customized for my tiny home, like the natural paint, the natural exterior timber oil, the natural countertop or benchtop oil, and a couple of other things, but those were included in the cost of the build. The items that I mentioned before, like the bed, the composting toilet, the lights and the stove, those were things that I ordered myself and then got it shipped to the Designer Eco Workshop. But the other things were included in the cost of the build because it just worked out easier that way uh, because Designer Eco ordered them or ordered these things themselves. So it was, yeah, it just worked out a lot easier. Um, there were other things like I had a an additional timber handrail that's coming down from the sleeping loft next to the stairs and a couple of other things I can't remember offhand right now. But yeah, all of that was included in the cost of the bill that I mentioned at the start. And then moving to the outside of my tiny home, so the solar trailer. Now, I ended up getting a six-panel solar trailer with a manual generator, 
other options are to get it with an automatic generator. You can also get a four panel with a manual or automatic generator. Some of the reasons that I chose the six panel with the manual generator, well, obviously the more panels that you have, uh, the one, the quicker the batteries will recharge and also obviously the more power that you'll have on sunny days, especially. And the reason for the manual generator, because I think most people will will commonly go for the automatic because then they don't even have to think about it out of sight, out of mind. I, one thing was I actually like to be involved in the workings of, of the systems in my home and just having a deeper understanding of how things work and, and all of that. And I figured that if I was to have to monitor it, uh, the system and then go and actually physically turn the generator on on those days that I needed it, that it would, it would give me more of a feel and understanding and deeper insight into to everything. And also just not having to, I guess, succumb to all the convenient stuff, you know, that, that happens in our life when we, when we choose convenience over, uh, maybe something that takes a little bit longer to do. We're missing out on, on a lot of other things. And, you know, that's another story for another time. But I just know that for me, uh, I don't mind if things, ha- if I need to do things that take a bit longer or, or whatever it might be, if it's going to benefit me, for me in, in some way. And then the other thing is, I believe that if you have an, an automatic generator, that there is an extra part that comes with that where, uh, it's connected to the rest of the, the the solar system and communicates to the generator, you know, when the battery drops to a certain percentage to to start up, and that that, that component is wireless. And as I mentioned before, uh, reducing electromagnetic fields and especially wireless fields in and around my tiny home is really important to me for health reasons. And so, getting the manual generator obviously removed that aspect of it, and then. I also ended up customizing the inverter because the the usual inverter that they use was a an Easy Solar Victron Easy Solar inverter that has wireless and Bluetooth and and all of that stuff Wi-Fi, but you can't turn it off. And so I asked for one either that didn't have it at all or that that where you could turn it off or, or remove it. And it seems like a lot of things these days are coming with the wireless and Bluetooth and smart functions. And so the inverter that I have can turn those functions off to minimize those electromagnetic fields. And then the other part I customized for the solar trailer was to have a longer cable. So if at some point down the track, I wanted to situate my solar trailer further away from my tiny house for whatever reason that I had that longer cord. Uh, If you're the further away that you are with your power source from your tiny house, you need a much thicker cable uh, so that the energy current doesn't drop off at a distance. And so, yeah, that cost me a bit extra. And so the total for my solar trailer, including the custom parts, ended up being 22,155. Now, that was a little bit extra in comparison to if I was just to have gone without customization of the six panel manual generator. I think if it was around about 20,900, I'll put a link in the show notes for that anyway, and you can always ha- have a look and, and compare. The next part I wanted to mention was 
towing my tiny house to its parking space. So I used Mark Emans from Tiny Towing. Mark is the brother of Grant Emans, who's the owner of Designer Eco Tiny Homes. So there's a family connection there and Tiny Towing does deliveries for Designer Eco as well as other tiny house building companies all around Australia. And because I needed two vehicles, I needed to bring my tiny house as well as a solar trailer. And I'm also not too far away from Designer Eco or further down the South Coast, but, you know, I'm not traveling across the country. So I, the cost of that was 2400 for me. Mark and, and Hank as well, who were on site and they helped set everything up and they showed me, you know, where, where everything was. And so I was really happy with their service. I'll put a link in the show notes for, for Tiny Towing. So talking about the deck and stairs now, as of the time of recording, uh, there's been a delay of having my deck built. So I thought it was going to be before Christmas, but now it's going to be later on in January. Uh, and initially I was just going to have some stairs and a deck without any cover or anything like that, but it does get quite windy around here. It gets really sunny as well in the afternoons and, you know, a rain as well. And so uh, I, I decided it would be really good to have uh, some some shelter and actually have a roof and all of that and some color bond. And so initially the, the deck without the roof and the color bond and stuff was going to be just under three grand, which I think is a really good price. The guy that I found down here in the South Coast, uh, he's, a, he's a stair business and does external timber work too, and he's really great. And he gave me a... a a good price for the timber uh, for the the lower part of the deck initially because he, he his family has a timber mill and all of that and they've got access to a lot of a lot of good timber and uh, then when I ended up saying oh actually can we do the top part as well uh, it increases the price significantly because I think a lot of the, the cost came from uh, the color bond so uh, the, the important thing about the deck for me is that it's portable and, you know, if I end up moving at some point down the track that I can take it along with me and, and still have it as an asset along with my tiny house. And so the way that he's going to do it is something like putting some ground fitting, some ground footings in that can be dug out and also using stirrups, which means that the, the uprights can be unbolted if I want to uh, move. And so the cost of that has now gone up to 6840 I feel like talking to different people about how much their debt costs that that's actually, even though it is a significant jump from the original price of just having the lower deck uh, and not having a, a roof and the structure around it and a cover that seems to be a good price. I've heard of people paying 15 grand, 20 grand for deck, obviously, you know, depending on, on the features and how big the tiny home is and, and other things as well, it can and very much vary. Uh, so yeah, that's the cost of the deck and stairs. And now for a quick break from this tiny house conversation. So I want to tell you about a wellness company whose products I've been using for many years, which I'll also have in my tiny house. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while or you know me personally, you'll know that health is super important to me. It's my number one value, and that includes a healthy home environment. 
And Block Blue Light are an amazing company who supply specialty downlights, light bulbs, reading lamps, blue blocking glasses, and much more to help protect you from exposure to artificial blue light and electromagnetic fields from your devices, lights, and other unnatural sources of lighting, especially at the wrong times of the day or night. Their products use amber and red lights rather than blue, think candle, moonlight, and fire vibes, which humans naturally would have been exposed to, especially in the evenings in our ancestral past. But the problem today is in the modern world, the abundance of all the artificial sources of light on the blue spectrum from our devices, where we've managed to trick our natural rhythms and circadian biology to thinking that nighttime is daytime and daytime is nighttime. That means the blue light from your phone, computer, or other devices at night makes your body think that the sun is out and therefore your physiology expresses itself as if it were daytime, which can lead to things like trouble falling asleep, interrupted sleep or sleepless nights, as well as other health effects. And just like anything, the key is what else happens from this unnatural exposure over the long term. I love my block blue light, blue blocking glasses to wear during the day to work on my computer, as well as their light bulbs and twilight sleep lamps at night and their twilight red light torch for camping weekends away. And in my tiny home, all my downlights are from block blue light, which means I never have to worry about exposure to unnatural light. And for someone who has had challenges for several years, I absolutely notice a difference in sleep when I use my specialty blue blockers, lamps and lights which have been shown to support production of your sleep hormone melatonin for healthier sleep patterns. And if you haven't noticed, yes, I'm a nerd who goes to great lengths for my health. The good news is Block Blue Light are offering you 10% off your order when you use my unique link and code. Just head over to tinyhouseconversations.com forward slash blue light and use the code THC podcast. THC is for Tiny House Conversations to get your discount. There's also a link in the episode show notes for your easy access. Now back to the show. Now moving on to setting up my tiny home and and engaging tradies and contractors to come and finish off some of the works. So before my tiny house arrived, one of the things that the landowner did here, you might be able to hear the rooster in the background. (laughs) One of the, uh, things that the the landowner did was she was getting the driveway excavated and at the same time she got the excavator to do a, a tiny pad for me so he leveled out the land and so where I'm parked there's topsoil and then underneath that is clay and he did a really good job at that and then ended up putting 20 mil aggregate rocks on top of that which have been really really great like when it rains there's no uh you know, the the clay doesn't, you know, go to shit and, and doesn't sink or anything like that. Like it's actually really stable with the aggregate on top of that. And so I ended up just paying for the, the aggregate rocks for that part, which was $160. And then the same excavator also dug a trench to put a conduit, which housed the cable for the solar trailer. And so that cost $480. The electrician came on site to install the solar trailer, and so that was 629 And then in terms of the gas bottles, so there's a rural store down here near where I am, and they do a gas bottle exchange. And so uh, because I live a little bit further, further out to them, uh, the area that I'm in, you've got to order two of those 
big 45 kilo gas bottles as a minimum, which suits me just fine because it means that I have to order less. And I've, I've also got space for two bottles just on the end of my tiny. And, and then you just pay a small higher fee per year for those bottles. And so that came to $383 as a, as a startup cost for my gas, which will hopefully last me a while. I'm sort of, even though I'm using it for hot water, which can be one of the most energy consuming sources of when you're using gas, uh, I'm very mindful of, of using the, the hot water as well, uh, as mindfully as I can. And then the last cost I'll mention when it comes to tradies is the plumbing. So I'm super grateful that there was already a rainwater tank on site at my tiny house and it's collecting rainwater off the shed that I'm parked right next to. And so I didn't need to supply my own rainwater tank, which I'm so grateful for now, especially, and, and maybe down the track, you know, I'll, I'll need to get one if I'm moving to a different place that doesn't have one. But it saved me so much money, probably thousands of dollars uh, initially. And I think that, you know, because there were so many other costs at this time, it just, it really helped that I, you know, didn't have to worry about that. However, it is, is, is quite a cost to, it has been quite a cost to get all that set up. So the plumber connected the, my tiny to the existing rainwater tank. Uh, he also provided a water pump because there wasn't one already. And they also set up a gray water system with an absorption trench. So the total cost for that was around $5,272. Yeah, as I mentioned, it was a pretty big cost. But because I, you know, had to buy a water pump, uh, which, you know, you get what you pay for with that and don't want to necessarily get a cheapo model because I'll probably end up having to, to replace it a lot sooner. And, and uh, you know, just the, it was like a whole day's work as well. So, and I guess if you've got the skills to do these kinds of things yourself, you can obviously save a lot of money. And just a side note on that, I may have very well overpaid for that service. I'm not 100% sure, but... Unfortunately, they were the only plumbing service that I could find down here that was available before Christmas. And I'd already been waiting about, I'd say my tiny was already in its parking space for at least a month by this time. And just because of uh, a lot of the, the rain several months ago, it backed up a lot of the tradies jobs and of course being close to Christmas. And I was like, okay, I just got to, I just got to do it. Otherwise, I would have had to wait towards the end of January or something like that for other companies. But these guys did a really great job and they were well recommended by quite a few people. So it is what it is. And so that's the cost of that. And now I'm just going to mention a few other things that would be good to consider, especially if you're new to your tiny house journey and you're wanting to plan for or budget for certain things that you might need, whether it's in your tiny house, whether it's setting it up uh, and other stuff too. I won't speak about all the different costs for me, but um, because it just ends up being getting into the weeds, I think a little, but things like, you know, furniture, uh, I already mentioned my, my bed and my mattress and bed frame, uh, whether you're, you're going to get new bedding and towels and linen and all of that, or if you're just going to bring what you already have, uh, kitchen items. I, I pretty much had, I think everything in my kitchen I already had, or for most things anyway. And so I just brought all my kitchen stuff with me. I also, I mentioned this in episode 44, I did some consulting. And so that was an additional cost for me too. I consulted with two or three different EMF 
experts, electromagnetic fields experts. I consulted with Bryony from parkmytinyhouse.com.au who was on episode 12 of the podcast. I'll put a link in the show notes. So she helped me with just some of the basics of tiny house living and just deciding on making different choices and and navigating uh, the setup of, of the tiny house parking space, that kind of thing. Uh, and then I also consulted with Anthony Smith from Waterwally, who was also on, on the podcast episode 15, and I will link to that in the show notes too. And I highly recommend, I said this in episode 44, but I highly recommend if you get a, if you get a chance to, it is really great to consult with experts in, in different areas that you're needing help with because you can ask questions in real time for your specific situation and you can really just get more clear and, you know, have things set up that, the way that you want them or as close to the way you want them as possible. And, you know, it's always great to, to just have people on your team that, that can help you because, you know, just in a general sense, going to get a bit philosophical here. You know, we don't have to do things alone and having support of other people around us is really, really valuable. And I just want to say the amount of times that I've been to Bunnings in the last month since I've been here or maybe more than a month is I think I've lost count of that. So going for things like star pickets, ratchet straps, which were helpful for uh, supporting and tying down my solar trailer against heavy winds and all of that, Besser blocks. Uh, and then, of course, like thinking about things inside your tiny house. So I ended up buying some some plants. I really, you know, I love plants and nature and having some some green inside the home as well as some different artwork. Uh, I got a bedside table down here, got it at an op shop at a really good price. So that was helpful. Uh, and then I also ended up getting a dust cover for my generator on the solar trailer just because even though it's weatherproof and all of that, it's just nice to not have it be so dirty and to protect it from the elements and stuff. Uh, for my composting toilet, because it's a self-contained composting toilet, I'm going with a DIY wheelie bin option as a holding container to create compost over the long term. And so I needed to get a wheelie bin and then install a little, just a little tap fitting and a lock as well for, for that. So that's something uh, I, I've seen quite a few people do that. Uh, just depends on your situation, but I'm going to see how that goes and I'll, I'll talk about it, how, how it's going in a, in a later podcast. Uh, washing machine. So I don't have a washing machine in my tiny house and that was a decision that I made early on during the design process. I knew that I was going to be in a smaller tiny home and just didn't want to compromise on space and then also to, I guess, minimize the the electricity thing, the water thing as well. I thought, okay, I'm, I'm not going to go with a washing machine. And so I ended up getting a portable, I guess it's like a camping type situation that's human powered. You don't need an electrical source or anything. Uh, you just need a bit, a bit of water. Uh, it's called a wonder wash and it's actually something that I came across in a tiny house book. I think I might've mentioned this on an earlier episode. Uh, and it's, now, there's a lot of cheap imitations out there that, that don't work really well, but this Wonderwash thing is something that uh, 
a couple of different tiny house experts recommended as something they've tried over the years. And, and, you know, a lot of things we can do in a tiny house with washing machines. Like if you don't have one, you can always, if, if you, if you're lucky enough to have access to friends or family that where you can go and do your laundry there, or maybe your landowner on site has a washing machine, or maybe you go to a laundromat every now and then, uh, what what it's turned out for me is that the landowner here has a washing machine which she says I'm you know more than welcome to use at any time so that's that's something that I'm doing that's really helpful and something good to consider uh, what you know the best option is for you and then I mentioned the water tank before so that is obviously an added cost if that's something that you're wanting to work towards or wanting to go with straight away for your tiny home you're going to be off grid with water uh, the other thing to consider about that is if you are getting a rainwater tank that you want to think about having to lay down a concrete slab for that as well I believe that's something that's required for having a rainwater tank on your property uh, and you know, depending on what kind of rainwater tank you go with, whether it's stainless steel, which is the most expensive, and then you've got Colorbond, which is the middle range, and then you've got the poly plastic, which is obviously the cheapest. Um, yeah, like there's there's a, a spectrum of prices that you might want to consider and uh, budget for, and just other things as well. So, like if you're going to build a fire pit, if you're going to have barbecues, uh, for me. In my lounge room, in the design process, we allowed for space for a futon sofa bed that I found online. It's an organic cotton futon sofa bed, which I haven't ordered already just because there's been so many outgoing costs and it wasn't something that I needed urgently. So I'll probably look at that next year. Uh, But that's something that is something I I see people consider maybe down the track, especially if you want to have a place for people to come and stay. Uh, At the moment, instead of my sofa bed, I've just got a couple of bean bags, which I already had at my my last home. Other things to consider down the track, so tiny house insurance. I know it seems to be quite expensive, So, and I know some people will, will do insurance and then others won't worry about it, I guess. Yeah, you really have to decide what what's the best option for you and what you can afford and all of that. Uh, other things that I'm considering for the future are, are blind for my skylights, although I'm actually loving not having a blind and being able to look up at the stars or the sky whenever. And because I actually, where I'm, where I'm situated, there's no artificial lighting around at all that those would be the main reasons for me to be, to, to block out, uh, the light would be the artificial light. Whereas I like having the natural light uh, from the sun and the moon come in. So yeah, that's something maybe for down the track. And then at some point I'll also look at getting some nice curtains for all of the windows in my tiny home, actually. So yeah, as I mentioned before, there's no artificial light coming in, so it's it's not too bad. But in the afternoon, I do get quite a strong afternoon sun coming through the kitchen window where I work on my computer, and I think it would be nice to be able to sort of uh, have some curtains when I need them, as well as for privacy too. I mean, I've got quite a lot of privacy where I am. However, the neighbours on the, the land next door, I mean – you know, I can see their house from here and they can see mine, although we're a fair distance away. But it, yeah, it wouldn't be nice to do that anyway. Something to look at later. 
Uh, and, and then a shed is also something. There are a few outdoor things that I wouldn't mind maybe storing outside my tiny house. It's not urgent at the moment, but things like garden tools and bucket and tent and, and stuff like that, outdoor stuff. And I'm sure there's many other things that you might want to consider for your tiny house journey. And there'll probably be lots of different costs that come up just like what I experienced. As I said at the start, I felt like my my spreadsheet was getting longer and longer and longer, just continuing to add more costs on and just lots of little things. What I would say as well, just a couple of things to finish up here, what I found really helpful initially when I was waiting for my tiny house to be finished being built and then sort of just planning on, okay, what are the things that I need to to set things up? What am I going to need in my tiny house? How am I going to, you know, fill it with features and and an essence that, that feels like me? Like, am I going to put artwork in it? And, and just all the little bits and pieces that you might need from a place like Bunnings. What I found most helpful, instead of getting super overwhelmed in, oh my God, I have this like massive list of stuff I need to get. So then I like go out and get it all at once. Or I try and guess like what I might potentially need uh, before, you know, the tiny arrives or before the solar trailer arrives. What I found most helpful was just getting a, a few things like bit by bit, not all at once. So it might've, sometimes it might've just been one thing at a time. And I think that goes back to, you know, breaking things down into small parts, that whole, like, how do you eat an elephant? Instead of trying to do it all at once, you wouldn't do that. Uh, you break things down into small parts. So that, hence why, and I've, Bunnings is only probably 20 minutes down the road. It's not that far. And, and you know, I'll often go down that way anyway, uh, into town. And so, I didn't mind or haven't minded and I still need to go to Bunnings probably quite a few more times over the next, you know, weeks or months. Uh, it's actually been fine to do it that way because I'm just getting, you know, one thing done and then I'm like, okay, what's the next thing? Or I'm getting a few things done. Okay, what are the next few things? And it's just been really manageable like that. So if I can, you know, share that with you to, to make it easier on your journey, I would definitely consider just just do one thing at a time or do like a few little things at a time. Now, after all that, you probably are wondering, well, what is the total cost that I've spent overall on all of this tiny house stuff? So the total cost on my spreadsheet as it stands right now is $147,196. I'm pretty sure there are some things that I've forgotten about left off, or there might be some more things that, that come up soon. So I would say... It's very close to $150,000 overall. And if you're someone that's thinking about going tiny and or wondering, you know, how much is all of this going to cost me? I think if it's possible, obviously we're all in different financial situations. If it's possible, I think having a a sum like that in mind, say $150,000 is going to be a really good place to start or a good place to be a good place to have in mind. Of course, that's going to vary depending on which tiny house builder you go with, or maybe if you're DIYing your own tiny house, what size your tiny house is, if you're going to be off grid, if you, uh, just how you're going to set up your tiny life, right? If you're going to have a solar trailer or not, if you're going to have a deck or not, I think most people probably will do the deck, uh, and, and, you know, all the other variables that can go into it. The last thing I want to mention is, 
on this financial aspect, I'm so grateful that I had family help to be able to afford to start my tiny house journey and live in my tiny house right now. So I guess I want to say, because I know that this financial thing is, it's important for all of us, right? And, and a lot of us come to tiny living, not just solely for the financial reason, but it is obviously uh, one of the most important ones and one of the most appealing ones and and even one of the ones that makes things uh, that you come to it out of necessity, right? In 2020, when I went to visit the Designer Eco Tiny Homes workshop and I knew, okay, I definitely want to I definitely want to live in a tiny house. I definitely want to create this lifestyle for myself. But I also felt a little bit hopeless and a little bit stuck after doing that because I wasn't, I didn't have all the finances to be able to afford it all in one go at the time. And, you know, I had uh, interferences with one of my jobs at the time and, you know, just with everything going on and then the rising costs of living, there was a lot going on for me. And I, I felt, yeah, I felt a bit hopeless. I felt, how am I going to make this work? And, you know, pretty discouraged. And I think a lot of us were going through and, and probably still going through, you know, the aftermath of, of, of things like that. And I'm really grateful that my family, my brother and my mom, uh, you know, has have supported me a lot in, in this way financially and, of course, uh, other ways as well so that I didn't have to, one, fork everything out all at once and then be in the shit with my finances as well as just allow me to do it in a more comfortable way or or a way that wasn't going to stretch me super far. And so, you know, there are options of tiny house financing like with Great Escape Finance who, by the way, I've had Paul Pritchett on the show in episode number 18. We'll also link to that in the show notes. Uh, I didn't want to go down that path and I guess not everyone is fortunate to have family or friends or something in their life that that might be able to help them out a bit uh, and that, you know, tiny house finance might be a, a bit of a stretch too and, you know, everyone's in, you know, different spaces in, in their situations and all of that. Uh, but, yeah, I thought that that was just a really important thing to to share and to highlight because I haven't been able to do all of this on my own and if I did try and do it all on my own. It will probably take me a few more years to be able to afford to do this comfortably. And so I guess there's quite a few messages in here. It's, you know, being being okay to receive support. And I actually didn't ask for support. My family came to me. They knew how important it was to me. They also saw how the cost of living was going up and then also the prices of tiny homes were going up. And so they really helped me to speed up that process. And so for me, uh, you know, and I don't have a time frame of when I need to pay things back and I don't have, in- there's not going to be interest in all of that too, which, you know, would be present if you're, if you're getting out a traditional or a tiny loan. What was interesting for me was when I had this offer of, of support from my family, I actually rejected it initially. And I said, no, this does, I, I don't want to do this. This doesn't feel right. Like it just, I want to try and do this for myself. But at some point I had to, you know, get over that or just let's rephrase that. I had to move through that block and whatever was 
stopping me from receiving support. And I think that's a bigger lesson that we can all learn of, you know, a lot of us are very giving and we want to help other people and we'll jump at the first chance to be able to support and help the people that we love. But then when we, we receive that support back to us, it can often be hard to receive. So I want to pass on that lesson is, you know, being okay to receive support, not always being the one to give. And then I feel like as well, just in all of this, and I'm not going to go into to personal details of and, and, and like nitty gritty details of all of this, but a big part in, in this receiving of support from family, there was also a lot of healing that I did for myself internally, working on myself, being the best version of myself, using many different healing modalities that I do in my life all the time. Uh, I feel like I came to a place within myself that I was then presented with this opportunity to receive this support, to then create this amazing life that I've dreamed of, wanting to be on the land. Even before tiny house living, I knew I wanted to be on the land and now I'm able to do it in a tiny house which feels more aligned for me than than living in a bigger house with lots of things and all of that. And so, yeah, wherever you are, you know, if you're if you're struggling with finances, if you're feeling like how am I ever going to make this happen, this seems impossible, just keep showing up being the best version of you, putting the little steps in where you can. As I always mention, tiny things turn into big things one step at a time and know that you've got this, you can do this. Like I said, I felt hopeless and stuck after I knew that I wanted to create this tiny life for sure. And then somewhere along the way, you know, this beautiful opportunity came in and I realized that it is a an opportunity that doesn't come along for everyone and that it, you know there there is a, a, some privilege here right I I highly recognize that but I'm so grateful for that and I hope that in some way it might even just inspire you and and give you some hope and know that there are endless possibilities out there for you to be able to create your your tiny life So I want to say thank you so much for being here with me today, for coming along for the ride. Now I'll put a link in the show notes at tinyhouseconversations.com for all the different links and people and products and items that I mentioned today in the show at tinyhouseconversations.com. And wherever you are in your tiny house journey, this podcast is for you. I'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. And if you enjoyed the conversation today, you found it valuable and you want to support the podcast, the best way you can do that is to share the love. That way I can keep bringing you more tiny house conversations to help you on your own tiny journey. So here are three ways that you can support the podcast. Number one, if you have a friend or family member that you feel would benefit from hearing these conversations, feel free to share it with them, email them, text them, send them a telegram, do whatever you need to do to share it with them. Number two, if you hit the subscribe button, you'll know exactly when the next episode is live. And number three, if you head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to podcasts and leave a five-star rating and review. Thank you so much in advance. I appreciate you and I'll see you in the next episode.